Welcome to the Deep Waters Podcast. We pray that Christ is at the beginning and the end of all we do. May openness and peace mark our discussions. As we engage in conversations about the fresh move of God, may our hearts be drawn to unity. And in all things, may this shape us to look more like you, Jesus. Amen. Pull up your uh, favorite chair, or if you're listening in the car, hi, focus on the road. (laughs) Grab your favorite cup of tea and enjoy the Deep Waters Podcast. I had someone come up to me uh, this last week and say, I don't know why you say pull up a chair and cup of tea. I'm never, I'm working out, I'm driving, (laughs) I'm doing nothing of any things that you ever say. And I'm like... Well, I mean, that works too. So I wanted to include That's good. those kinds of people that are, you might be in your car right now, which is great. Mm-hmm. You could figuratively mm-hmm. pull up a chair in your heart. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> Incredible. I Maybe washing dishes, if anyone's doing that, shout out to you. Mm-hmm. I will say there, there's nothing like working out to Jace Langley's voice. Yeah. So. Wow. <laughs> um, uh, who's that? <laughs> Lace Jangly? No, who just spoke? Oh, we haven't introduced him yet. Yeah. <laughs> He's our special guest for today. It's our very own Kenny Ortega. Ortega. <laughs> Thanks, guys. <laughs> it's a joy to be here with you. We're really glad you're with us. In case you haven't met Kenny yet. Um, I'm sorry, you're missing out. You should meet mm-hmm. Kenny. He is our youth director at River House. He's also a man of deep wisdom, tremendous integrity, and unbelievable athletic ability. And he's a bomb worship pastor, too. Oh, of course. Like, such a... You've probably seen him lead worship at River House with mm-hmm. his incredible wife. They just bring the presence every time. So mm-hmm. good. We're Thanks. very happy to have you on the podcast. Thanks. I'm glad to be here, and... Yeah, really looking forward to even, honestly, just some of the laughs that come from... I know <laughs> mm-hmm. if, you, if you guys have listened to some of the Deep Waters podcasts, you know there's some laughs in there, so... <laughs> I'm not sure. I, I thought we were all business here. I didn't know. <laughs> People think That's this right. is funny? <laughs> <laughs> also, I just yeah. hit my tooth on the microphone. Oh, so there's a big laugh. Well done. We're good. That's Hopefully fun. I'll turn that down. No, it's great. It's better that way. <laughs> if we're not laughing, I don't know. Mm-hmm. Maybe we're missing the joy that is our strength. Mm. You know, I think it was C.S. Lewis that said joy is the serious business of heaven. That's (laughs) such a good line. (laughs) So here we are trying to engage in that serious business. Not to go a little off course. Doesn't like G.K. Chesterton have some great joy stuff too? Oh, thank you for bringing it. I wish I I feel like I read some and I wish I had them on me. He's a very, Mm -hmm. very funny writer. Yeah. The only one that I have off my head about him is he says, isn't it a shame that we go about wishing that unicorns existed when rhinoceros actually do? Wow. <laughs> That's like, so good. Huh. Like we look at the world and think, oh, I wish we had something else. And mm. we don't take time to appreciate what God did give us in the creatures. Mm. Yeah. He's a, he's a poet in case you haven't heard of GK Chesterton. He has nothing to do with what we're talking about today, but he's True. such a good man. Uh, one of his lines I just looked up is, Poets have been mysteriously silent on the subject of cheese. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I love this guy. I also like, I'm going to read one more. (laughs) (laughs) I'm not absent-minded. I'm in the presence of mind that makes me unaware of everything else. (laughs) That's great. That's just a great, I like, like, that's just good, you know? Yeah, wow. I love people that write. Mm. 
I, humans are amazing. <laughs> <laughs> right? Like words are artwork and he's an incredible artist with them. See, what you just said was much more eloquent is I like people that write. That's going to be one of my GK Chesterton quotes when I'm dead. <laughs> And this is all our introduction to our conversation on the fivefold ministry. Yeah. I didn't know how to bridge there, so no, I just jumped good. right in. In case you didn't listen to our last week's episode, I would highly encourage you to do that. It's going to um, definitely contextualize everything that we're going to be talking about today and in the coming podcasts. Um, really just trying to ask this question, what is the fivefold ministry? If you've mm-hmm. never even heard that language, then definitely stop this podcast listen to the previous one. Mm -hmm. Um, And we're unpacking that with different perspectives in the spirit of unity and diversity, Mm -hmm. recognizing that each of us have different gifts to bring to the table. And that's the beauty of the body of Christ. And so that is one of the many reasons we wanted Kenny to be on the podcast today, because he's got incredible wisdom and Mm -hmm. grace on his life for leadership and teaching. And he's such a pastor and a discipler. So, Mm -hmm. uh, Kenny, yeah. Oh, I was oh, yeah, gonna go say, ahead. Just quick summary. Out of the five-fold ministry, the five are apostle, prophet, teacher, pastor, evangelist. Mm-hmm. Just to give that context. And we're going to kind of dive That's into great. teacher, pastor today with Kenny. Yeah, and this is, uh, this is a paradigm that comes to us from Paul's writing in Ephesus, Ephesians chapter 4, mm-hmm. where he lays those five things out. Yeah. And we've, as a church, built a theology around it to describe how we are to engage in the edification of the church, mm-hmm. the upbuilding to the maturity of Christ in our body and in our midst. So, mm. yeah, That's thanks. Good. It was probably good to have a little, a little, little, little rewind. Yeah. Mm. Cool. So, Kenny, do you mind if I just jump in and ask you a question off the bat? Let's go for it. <laughs> Sweet. <laughs> Buckle up. Uh, first question is, do you identify with one of the fivefold? Um, why or why not? Hmm. Yeah. Um, well, I think maybe it's part, partially my personality. I have a natural pause to that because I probably don't like to be boxed in per se, but then also I think as I've been thinking about this conversation and if you listen to the podcast, prior to this where Benj and um, Jace are kind of discussing this in detail. I think I have some similar thoughts. Um, I, I will say, um, yes, I have a couple that I identify with and I, I think ultimately these are, these are lanes and language that is helpful um, to bring understanding to giftings or callings or, in some realms or church spaces offices um, that can really be a kind of like a barrier or like a a guide, a guidance for someone to operate in what they've been called to. Um, We are diverse and we have different um, giftings and skills like Paul talks about in first Corinthians 12, um, different aspects of the body. So I think that's very true. Um, And I would say, um, that our ultimate goal is to be, which I think you guys said earlier is, is little Christ Christians. Mm. Um, and I think of, there's some language that Paul uses where he says, imitate me as I imitate Christ. 
Um, I think that that's First Corinthians 11. And then also in Ephesians 5, um, so just after this conversation around the fivefold that we're taking from Ephesians 4, um, he says, therefore, be imitators of God. And so I think the reality is Jesus is the fullness of, of these five. I would probably also say that Jesus is the fullness. He has many other names too mm-hmm. that don't categorize him within this five um, that he also is. Um, like he's he's healer. Like he's the great healer and that's not one of the five, but it is interestingly enough, it is another gift um, listed in First mm-hmm. Corinthians 12. Um, and so I think my my heart when I think of this is yes, um, there's specific giftings, but ultimately I think I'm called to operate in all of them. If I'm going to imitate Paul as he imitates Christ or to be therefore imitators of God, who is the fullness of all these different expressions. Um, so to, to be distinct, but then also to, um, operate in all of them, I think is part of my calling to uplift and build up the church. Mm, I love that. So you're breaking down some boxes here. I feel like you're like recognizing, I don't want to be limited or siloed into just one title. And then by way of that, neglect my responsibility to be mature in other ways as a disciple. Yeah. Right. And I would even say it's not even out of a, a personal like need of like what I prefer. Um, I think it's from what I've just in wrestling with the Lord and reading scripture, it's more out of conviction, um, to, to be a full expression of Jesus. Mm-hmm. Um, or even at the end, you know, in Matthew, in the sermon on the Mount where Jesus says, be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think that's just in the, the lane that's most comfortable for me. So if it's teaching, um, you know, that could be my jam and like <laughs> that comes easy to me and natural. I think it would actually be me not living into my full calling as a Christ follower to be like, well, I'm just going to like roll in this area where I'm already equipped. I already have skills to do it. Um, it's comfortable for me. It's easy. I, I really resonate with Jesus in him being a, a rabbi and the great teacher. And I have this teaching gift. So great. I'm just going to keep like plowing ahead in ministry, which can be fruitful and even unto the church or unto for the sake of bringing in the lost who don't know Jesus, who aren't a part of the body of Christ. Um, I think that's well intended, but I think I personally like hold a conviction that I would be missing my call to first be a follower of Jesus, a true disciple, which is, which means learner, like mm-hmm. learning from all the facets that is Jesus um, and that, that is challenging. That's convicting for, it's like, I, I'm not a natural evangelist or I'm not a natural prophet, but I also read in first Corinthians 14 where Paul's saying earnestly desire the gift of prophe- prophecy. And yeah. so it's like, I want to, I want to earnestly desire that. Um, I want to operate. I believe that everyone has the access to hear the word of God, but, um, to operate within the gifting, I think almost, you know, elevates, um, uh, that, that kind of, um, anointing on that specific gift. If, if you ask for it and you receive, um, you know, the gift. So, um, and that kind of gets into other nuances of like the prophet. I think there is, can be a distinction, um, from the gift of prophecy. Mm -hmm. 
Sure. I'm glad you made that distinction. I like that, you know, to go after all of them is a pursuit to be like Christ. But the, the, reali- the reality is we all have different personalities and might be geared towards one one of them or a couple of them more, you know? And yep. so, and, and I like what you said, like maturity would be pursuing just that, that fullness of Christ and imitators of God. So, yeah, I'm like, I'm trying to decide, like, I'm trying to think about like, why did Paul, like, do, is it kind of like we have, he's kind of meeting us where we're all at. Cause we're all kind of different. Like we're all to be like Christ, but mm-hmm. people have naturally different personalities. Um, mm-hmm. and maybe that has something to do with it. I'm not, I'm not sure. Hmm. Yeah, I, I think that's a great point. And I, I think I would come back to affirming that reality because it's very clear in First Corinthians 12 when he's talking about the different parts of the body. If we're all, if we're all an ear, then where's you know, the sense of smell um, or et cetera. So there is, there is the reality of being distinguished. And then even Paul says um, in his letter to the church in Corinth, that like are all apostles or are, are all prophets do all have the the gift of healing um mm-hmm. and he's saying it rhetorically like yeah. of, of course not um so i think yes there is reality of like we all have distinguished gifts um and i would say yes like you should the goal is not to make all of them like oh i'm like a 90%, you know, for looking at like, like a bar graph, like for to be equal in all of these, the fivefold or even an outward of expression of other gifts that we have in other parts of scripture. Um, I don't, I don't think the goal is to be like equal in all of them. Um, but I don't think it's to dismiss God being able to use you in other aspects, mm-hmm. um, that maybe you wouldn't say is even your office or your mantle, um, even within leadership, if we're just doing it in the leadership um, scope of like, okay, I'm a, I'm a teacher or I'm an apostle, um, to 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 operate in that lane doesn't mean I can't operate in the prophetic, totally. um, or it doesn't mean like I get to dismiss the Great Commission, which is like to mm. go and make disciples, which has you know an evangelistic expression to it, um, and so I would say that's like a call to all disciples which is all of us or to all believers little christ um so i think in that's that's the more of the heart of what i'm trying to get across it's good how beautiful is it that like even in the fullness of christ we will all be different parts of the body mm-hmm. like i just had that thought it's like even like you know becoming a you know a dedicated disciple of the lord we're all just still going to be this like beautifully unique expression of him mm-hmm. and probably cuz especially on this side of new heaven and new earth, I don't even know on the other side if we'll ever be able to comprehend mm. infinitely or in eternity. And so if God is so all these different facets, like we only are able to see that through the community of believers. That's, and that's really beautiful. That's a really And it, it's almost as like we're all called to be moldable clay, mm. you know, mm-hmm. like completely malleable in his hands and to be used in any way and open to any way he wants to use us but I might be blue clay and you're red clay and you're orange clay, you know? Mm. And so there's inherent differentness in us, but we are all to be moldable mm. and to make something beautiful in the hands of God together. Wow. Mm. That's really good. I think another way we can approach this conversation that we've touched on, not just last week, but even in the priesthood conversations we had a few weeks ago is through the image of God, mm-hmm. mm. recognizing that, in Colossians, we're told that Jesus is the image of God. Right. 
the fullness of God was pleased to dwell in him and that humans were made in the image of God. That was pointed out to me recently in a teaching I was, mm. I was learning from. Jesus is the image. We are in the image, which is oh, like wow. a, a little distinction there. Mm-hmm. You see that like Jesus is a fullness yeah. of God's character, nature, glory in human form. And we are only that fullness together. No one man or woman other than Jesus represents the fullness of the image of God or the character of God. So that's why the body of Christ is necessarily a fellowship of Mm. believers. Like we need Mm. one another's diversity in unity to fill out the aspects of the image that no one of us um, fully grasps. And I think that doesn't mean that like, oh, I'm going to be a hand over here and let you just be a foot. Um, but instead I'm going to like, let you as the foot challenge me to do foot like things. And I'll like, (laughs) (laughs) yeah, totally. You know, teach Uh you and challenge you to do hand like things. Like maybe while I'm not necessarily, well, I don't feel like I've necessarily been graced with evangelism as much as I have other things. That doesn't mean that I can't evangelize and be an effective one. Absolutely. And like learn good things. I was just evangelizing this morning at a coffee shop. Mm. Praise God. And yeah. praise God for challenging me in those ways, even right. though it's insanely uncomfortable for me. <laughs> totally. Yeah. I just had to touch down on that because no, I think the image really of God good. is a really important part of this conversation. Mm. That's so good. That's good, Benj. And I, that even makes me think of, of course, the like the analogies or the metaphors that we get in scripture um, can be so helpful um, and to not lose sight of it is a, it's a metaphor. Um, mm. Of course, like we're not literal, like I'm a nose and you're an ear if you're a teacher and I'm a prophet. Um, so I think knowing that there is, there is guidance in that, but it's also, at least in my understanding, it would not be like so limited to that reality um, of what Paul's mm. ultimate goal is he's getting across, which I think you guys said beautifully in the last podcast is unity, like unity of the body of Christ, um, being unified under the Lordship of Jesus and how the Holy Spirit is calling us mm-hmm. to operate and guide, um, like in, in our midst as being the unified body of Christ. Um, I think that is, that language becomes helpful, um, while also, you know, making, making light of the reality that we are mm-hmm. different. We have, we're distinguished. We have unique um, callings or, you know, we're made like specifically intricately different than each other. Like there's no other Benjamin Olsen on the planet or Jace Langley or Kenny Ortega, like, and there never will be, or whatever your name is. Mm -hmm. Like you are specific to what God has called you to. And you might operate in a similar lens or lane as others, but, um, for the sake of uplifting like the church and upbuilding the church. think this conversation just disarms any comparison that might exist inside of us because I could look at someone and think like oh man I'm just bummed that I am not as good at evangelism as Caden like the person that I'm looking at mm-hmm. and then 
all of a sudden, I mean, if I allowed this paradigm that we're talking about to really take hold, then instead of comparing, I'm going to celebrate what my brother or sister in Christ is graced with. And I'm going to come as a humble learner to that. Mm. Like, teach me what you have so that I can look more like Jesus alongside you Mm. and let that be a a reciprocal relationship. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I think there we can operate in joy. I think comparison is ultimately going to divide us. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Maybe, maybe to that point, I think if I'm just being candid, some of the wrestlings that I've had with such an emphasis on the fivefold is, is that exact, I think it can, it has the opportunity to birth comparison, um, which then isn't necessarily unity. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think I just want to be, has, you know, careful to what Paul is saying within the giant, the larger context. Um, and maybe in some sense it could be like, well, Hey, if I'm, if I'm a pastor, um, and this is my lane of operating like w- evangelist, you trying to tell me, Hey, maybe there's ways you could grow in like your, your care for your eyes for the lost. Um, I could potentially have, if I'm not humble, if I'm not walking in humility with the Lord could say, Whoa, evangelist, like stay in your lane. I'm operating in my lane. Um, and I think that can be a little divisive. So I think, yes, like the call to be humble, like Jesus is paramount, um, to this conversation. And especially if you're going to, I think there's a lot of benefit to being aware of, um, the fivefold and the different giftings and graces. Um, but I think it's, it's paramount to keep that close, um, so that it doesn't come into like comparison or -hmm. divisiveness or even like closed offness to receiving or growing into more Christ likeness from someone who operates in a different gifting or calling. Mm. Does that make sense? Yeah, this is really good. I I'm thinking of a biblical example that will maybe continue in breaking some boxes because in the old Testament, we don't have fivefold language. Um, but we do have some like diversity language, uh, one that's highlighted throughout the history of Israel that I've become aware of is the distinction between the line of the Kings and the line of the prophets, mm-hmm. um, which like is like the church and the state, yeah. if you will, like the administrative body and then the, the priestly, um, divinely focused Levitical body or whatever. So, you know, you got like Ahab and Elijah duking it out or even like David and Nathan and, you need both characters in that story for Nathan to call out David when he's committed to terrible sin and to call him back to God. But the beauty of when it's done right is that you see David dancing in priestly garments, like transcending the boundary outside of what it just means to be a king and Mm. looking more like a priest sometimes. Mm. Like David went, and he's the one most celebrated in the history of the kingship of Israel. He's the one that worshiped the Lord writing, uh, we don't know how much of, but a predominant chunk of the Psalms um, like a priest might. Uh, and, and I like that we have that picture of it. Again, it's not within the fivefold framework, but what David could have done is said, oh, I'm going to leave this um, 
priestly work of bringing the Ark of the Covenant around to the priests. I'm the king. I'm going to stay in my palace. Other people Mm -hmm. can figure out like what to do with the Ark of the Covenant. No, 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 no. David isn't going to be limited by that. Instead, he's putting on the ephod. He's putting on the priestly garments, Mm -hmm. even disgracing himself by doing so and dancing Mm -hmm. undignified um, out of praise and worship. So he's not letting these... um, yeah, boxes confine him. I, I, mm-hmm. I like that. I think that could be a picture for how we apply the fivefold. Can I expand on that a please, little bit? Please. I love that. Um, that makes me think of a question that I think arises um, around this conversation. I've heard it in our local congregation and even, you know, in a conversation with a staff member recently. Um, can I can I have multiple um giftings within the fold or is it just like a one and then you know i've heard some people talk about it you have like a primary and then you maybe have a secondary Mm -hmm. um or like but some wrestling with like well what if i see myself in like multiple of those is that okay is that even is it biblical is it god's will um and i think a good example i would personally i would say yes um you hear paul in first timothy um in chapter two he said i'll just read this This is verse seven Um, He says, for this, I was appointed um, a preacher. So that's not one that's necessarily on the list, um, but could be talked about because that's language we use often that maybe transcends Mm -hmm. some of the the fivefold. But he says, for this, I was appointed a preacher and an apostle. And then he he says, I'm telling the truth. I'm not lying. Um, (laughs) A teacher. So there's another gift of the Gentiles in faith and truth. So right here we see Paul even mentioning three things, but two that are within the fold, which is apostle and a teacher. Um, If you know anything about Paul, it would not be a stretch, I would say, to say he was clearly called to be an evangelist too. Um, He -hmm. brought (laughs) the word of the gospel to the Gentiles, right? So um, I would say, man, he clearly had a mantle or an office bestowed by God. God literally called him, right, when he was when he was blind saying, you will like bring the word of the gospel to the Gentiles. Um, so he was like, God was like kind of giving him the office. If we want to use that language of the evangelist, but then you hear Paul also saying that he was, he's also an apostle and he's also a teacher. Mm-hmm. So he's Paul's operating in three. Um, and so I wouldn't be, you know, I think it's just as an example, new Testament to say, well, you see Paul here, who's the one who wrote Ephesians, right? Yeah, um, yeah. The Ephesians four part about the fivefold, kind of operating in numerous of those giftings. Yeah, I I w- also want to say just if you haven't read it or you're just joining in for the first time, like Paul never refers to this passage as the fivefold ministry. Mm, that is right. something that has come afterwards within just theological talks and everything. But one thing that we mentioned last week and maybe even phrased of like this kind of being a framework for church governance and leadership. And even through this conversation, I felt even like more leaning that direction that it's not like these silos of the only gifts or anything, or, you know, some personality test options, but like (laughs) how beautiful and how much does it more unify your church? If you as a teacher surround yourself with people that are Mm. more apostolic, maybe more pastoral, more evangelist, like you're going to have a much more dynamic of a body. Yeah. And I think that's, that's something that I do want to like honor, um, pastor Jordan for doing like Mm. even throughout COVID, like 
he surrounded himself as someone who is not necessarily as like as prophetic leaning or um, like he's more apostolic leading and maybe not even like pastoral. It's like he's surrounded himself with those people. Mm. And I feel like our church kind of ended up taking a, a middle ground in the midst of the COVID torment. I thought that was kind of cool. It kind of, it, it kind of led us in a, well, still human third way of Christ. And I think that's the power and unity that bring is brought with like surrounding yourself with different viewpoints. That's good. I just like, I don't know. I think that's really well said. And I think that's probably a big part of the heart behind churches who have kind of got behind the model of the fivefold Mm -hmm. is to that point of, you know, if everyone, if we only ever hear the voice of a pastor, um, of one who is a shepherd, that's great. That's going to bring a lot of insight to the reality of what Jesus was like. Um, but if that's all you're ever hearing or everyone on staff is, is a shepherd as well, um, then we're missing aspects yeah. that God is moving, that God is, um, may not so be th- even like stretched and pushed into like an uncomfortable new learning experience as a pastor. Cause as a shepherd, you're going to just kind of keep everyone safe. Yeah. And I feel like I've even learned in, in being a part of river house, um, that in the giftings that I do feel like are more in my natural gifting or calling or what I'm called to operate in the most, I felt like those have been um, kind of like blown the top off um, and just like been way more fruitful and colorful as I've been surrounded with people who operate in the different giftings. And as I've even kind of received a little bit of how they operate um, within their gifting and how that's like enhanced my ability to teach because now I'm, I'm operating in the prophetic a bit because I'm like hearing words of the Lord. And now my teaching is, is sharper, but it's also prophetic. And then, um, the heart of an evangelist and having someone I work with closely, like be a heart of an evangelist that, that reigns my teaching, not to just teach those who already know Jesus, but now it's like, it's also cutting to those who don't know. Um, so I I think that's the beauty of the fivefold is that it, it really enhances, um, whatever gifting you might operate in the most to, for it to be more potent. Like it's more potent, I believe. That's so good. That's so good. I'm just thinking about the, the flip side of that. That's the danger of not embracing something like the fivefold, I've seen more, I think with eyes um, that now have lenses and language like the fivefold to, to see other people in different churches who might like grab one sort of expression of faith or expression of the church, um, sort of kind of at the detriment of the other expressions of the faith. Um, say I really am excited about teaching the word of God and I do that only alongside a board of elders that are made up of teachers and a, like a team or a staff that are just a bunch of teaching heavy people. Um, maybe a couple evangelists sprinkled in there, a couple pastors, but there's, there's no care for the prophetic. Hmm. Um, we're like missing a whole chunk of the body and not only is that missing, but I feel like I find that when we exist in those more incomplete versions of the church, Mm -hmm. we start to build resentment and judgment 
towards the other parts of the body of Christ mm. that we don't see embodied in our own local congregation. Right. Have you witnessed that? Oh yeah. I, yeah, I've, I feel like I've, I've seen or listened to pastors that really only camp on, you know, the kind of the direct, um, explanatory, is that a word? Mm-hmm. Teaching of God, like teaching of Jesus, you know, yeah. it's like, let's just camp on his parables and his sermons, you know? Sure. And like, it's like, then you read the scriptures, you're like, what's this about like pigs and demons and like, what's going on over here? Like, this is a crazy part of <laughs> Jesus's ministry. And Oh, like he was like challenging, you know, his disciples and like bringing this new kingdom and like, whoa, this like Jesus character is much more dynamic than just a 2000 year old version of my pastor, mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> which praise yeah. God he is, yeah. you know, yeah. Um, as a teacher, why is the sermon on the Mount your favorite part of the Bible? Okay. <laughs> you want to get into that? Uh, yeah. Because it's the most explicit teaching. Yeah. That's totally. straight the words of Jesus. <laughs> so, um, it's, we love you that. Know, it's pretty good. <laughs> so fun. That's no, no favorites here. Um, well, if I do have a favorite, it's probably Leviticus 13, which is a chapter that just talks about leprosy. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I think that's important in our day-to-day lives, you know? Um, can I just ask, am I the only one in this conversation that has thought about Avatar, The Last Airbender? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe Jace, actually. Actually, in this context, I did not go really? there. Really? Okay. Yeah. This is a... Faith. Yeah, no, I want you to talk about it, though. That was a leap of faith by me because Jace, I'm pretty sure, is pretty familiar with (laughs) Avatar The Last Airbender. So for me to say on record that, no, we haven't thought of that, Bench, was, you know. That was bold. That was bold. But you you went into that boldness and your risk was well taken. So... Because you're a prophet. That's why. That's wow. What it is. Oh. So you're yeah. part of the the fire. What's the, the clans? I actually don't know that much about. Oh, really? Yeah. Okay. Well, maybe the I listener knows bit, nothing yeah. about it either. So I won't go too deep into it. But the concept is. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> um, I think what I'm about to do is set up an analogy that is not analogous to the fivefold. Okay. But I think it is if we view it incorrectly. Yeah. So for that reason, I think it might be helpful. Yeah. But um, there are four elements in this Avatar The Last Airbender story series. There's water, there's wind, there's fire, there's earth. Mm -hmm. And um, some people, not everyone, but some people have some ability to like control one of those four elements. So if you're a waterbender, you can like, I don't know if they do it with their mind or Mm -hmm. I don't know, but they like pick up water in front of them and it's floating and then they can like throw it and manipulate it or freeze it sometimes and turn yeah. it into ice. That's a waterbender, mm-hmm. but the waterbenders can't do anything to earth totally. or fire or wind. Mm-hmm. And then there's a wind bender or an airbender that can like yeah. make the wind come, but he can't do anything with fire, for example. Mm-hmm. But there's one character every generation called the avatar that can control all four of the elements. Mm-hmm. And they can do fire and earth and wind and water when they, when they really master the Mm -hmm. art of each and (laughs) confession time. I have sometimes viewed the apostle as the avatar. Yeah. Like, Oh, okay. I'm just, if I'm just a teacher, that's my lane and I'm kind of limited to it and stuck Mm. in it. If you're just a, you're just an evangelist, like, sorry, but that's like your only lane you're trying to be prophetic. Like, sorry, you're an evangelist. You can't (laughs) or whatever to the prophet. But if you're an apostle, 
Ooh, yeah. Then mm. you you can do all of them wow. for the sake of like the founding of the church. Uh, and I think I, I maybe I totally speak for myself. In which case, this is just weird rabbit trail. No, it's great. But um, I sometimes have looked at the apostle like, wow, that's the ultimate gift. Mm-hmm. And those are those are the people at the top of this that are like superior and and greater and more powerful and more influential than the rest of us. And and we serve the apostle's vision. Mm-hmm. I think it can yeah. go that direction if it gets messy. Um, and that's why I think conversations like this are so important mm-hmm. to break down any remnant of um, those kinds of like steering astray yeah. and recognize, well, we're not serving anyone except Christ. That's really pivotal. Mm-hmm. Um, and no one is better than anyone else because God has graced them in any particular way. Mm. We receive these graces by gifts, like as gifts. Um, and also what leadership looks like in the church is washing feet and going low. Yeah. At a conference I was at this past weekend, there was a woman that even said, I don't like the term servant leader because the word servant is modifying the noun leader. Hmm. Rather, I like to flip it and say, you're a leading servant. Hmm. That's cool. To me, just kind of moved me. It puts the emphasis on the servant. And so if there is someone who's kind of like leading the charge, like the apostle, um, in order to really embody the mission of Jesus, right. they they should probably look like a foot washer, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. not a CEO. Totally. Mm. That's good. That's really good. <laughs> that was a big rabbit trail. Thanks question, for following. No, no, that was, a, I think that's a good analogy. Um, the question I have leaving that is like, biblically are apostles the head of the church? Is that like how it is supposed to be? I honestly, I don't even know if we have enough clarity from scripture. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, yeah, I would say to the head of the church. No, Jesus oh, well, is clearly the well, head of yes, the church. Yes, but so maybe, just to clarify, yeah, yeah but, totally. But I, I think you raise a good point, Jace. Of there are some, yeah, that take the scripture and with that approach of maybe those not in a fullness of humility who are maybe aren't embodying who maybe even operate in the apostolic or prophetic um, that aren't embodying a, a leading servant could see the scripture of like, well, look at Ephesians four apostle comes first in the list of the five, or it says in first Corinthians first, the apostle second, the prophet third, the teacher. Mm-hmm. And there could be a lot of emphasis on the order and it being first and as a way to, you know, embellish authority. Um, you know, scripture says it. Um, I, I think to not take that out of the context of even in first Corinthians where it's saying those who have lesser, um, value, or at least in our eyes that we deem less honorable, we actually bestow more honor upon. Mm. I think to your point of, um, if, if apostle is based off those, kind of spaces within scripture is to be kind of the main authority piece within a local body governing. Um, it certainly should be one that is a leading servant that is actually bestowing far more honor to those that are less honorable in our eyes of understanding the body. That was great. Thank you. So good. No, I really like that clarity. 
I also wonder if a piece of this is recognizing that the 12 apostles totally. are administrative leaders in the church, that they are like sent out. I mean, not even just administrative. Maybe that word is limiting to what they did, but they were, they were incredible influencers that built movements. Mm-hmm. And so I think that's what you meant when you said the head of the church. Yeah, totally. Um, Jason, that, that I'm glad that you corrected that language, Kenny, because only Jesus is the head. And if at any point we get that confused, which I think a lot of Western churches do, for, mm. I mean, churches in general, sure. like, heaven help us, you know, if mm. we're serving the Pope or the mega church pastor, the, right. the influencer Christian any more than Christ which I think sometimes can be a seedbed in the church for toxicity. Well, on the subject of Christ, even maybe a a cool thing we could touch on on each of these five things is like, what, how does Christ model teaching? Like how, what is like, Hmm. Like if we are to be a teacher like Christ, you know, how does he embody that? And like, how are we to embody that? Like he did. Yeah. Thanks for grounding us there. Hmm. Jesus is called teacher a lot. Mm-hmm. He's called a Ra- lot of things. And rabbi would rabbi. be what he uh, called. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Rabbi. Is that what he, yeah. Yes. Raboni. <clears throat> Raboni. Mm-hmm. Which, what is that? Is that Aramaic for my rabbi or my teacher? Mm-hmm. I believe. I think so. I think rabbi is Hebrew. I should know that. I think rabbi is Hebrew. And then Rabboni, I'm pretty sure, is Aramaic. Um, And some of your translations might not even have those words in them because the person who translated your Bible just put teacher. Mm -hmm. That's what we probably see the most, Uh you know, teacher, teacher. And, um, you know, Jesus is also called prophet. He's called, you know, I don't know, son of God, Jesus of Nazareth. In fact, at the beginning of John... In chapter one, Mm. he's called seven different things really intentionally to kind of point to who this character is insanely significant. And John wants you to recognize that he's grounded in the long awaited Messiah. One of his seven titles in John one is Messiah. Mm. One is the son of man, which grounds him in a vision. Daniel chapter seven, Mm. the one seated at the right hand of the ancient of days. Mm -hmm. It's called the son of God, the lamb of God, the king of Israel. But one of these titles is rabbi. Mm-hmm. Um, so Jesus as teacher is definitely significant in yeah. the way we read the gospels. And of, he teaches in a way that I would argue is really unconventional for the way that people teach in our culture mm-hmm. through parables predominantly. Yeah. Which I've, I've noticed that. Yeah. <laughs> like if you're reading, yeah. you, you can't avoid the parables. It's all throughout. If you have a red letter Bible where Jesus's words are in red, a huge amount of those red letters are going to be little parables, which are like Jesus's creative and clever stories to highlight some significant kingdom of God mindsets that are going to break the cultural boxes of the people reading them. And want to like what he's trying to do is represent what does the world look like when God is on the throne, Mm -hmm. not Caesar yeah, Mm -hmm. or not the president. Um, 
But I don't know. How do parables strike you as a teaching method? I feel like for me, often they're very confusing. <laughs> I'm like, I have no idea what this really is saying. Mm-hmm. Um, or they can be kind of, or like, I'll like, you have to unpack a little bit more, which actually probably is a little bit more beneficial because then you're ruminating on it for a while. Mm-hmm. But I think for me, I, I've always been, I've always thought it was interesting. It's like, Jesus is this great teacher, but we only have these parables that in our day and age are really kind of confusing. Mm-hmm. Almost mm-hmm. obsolete, would you say, because of their confusing N- nature? Near obsolete without mm-hmm. a good amount of commentary sometimes, sure. hmm. which is like, that's a, it's a bummer. Because <laughs> 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 like, I'm like, sure, there's, I know there's gold there because it's Jesus. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's like treasure buried in a field, you could mm-hmm. say. <laughs> oh, it's a parable joke. <laughs> <laughs> For those who have ears to hear, let them hear the yeah. joke. <laughs> it was sad, oh, this is interesting. I, I mean, as someone who, if I were categorizing myself like as a teacher, um, I actually love what what Jesus does in parables, um, and I think off. I think of when Jesus started his ministry. He starts with saying, "Repent." for the kingdom of heaven is at hand um, or repent for the kingdom of heaven is near. Um, And this isn't even something like John the Baptist was saying this same phrase before Jesus um, came down out of the wilderness and started his ministry. Um, But repent, you know, a little, not to go into it too much, but to turn around, like to turn away from something and go the opposite way. um, I think parables relates to that and why Jesus so often uh, taught in parables is it the repentance is often of our minds sometimes it can be physically of what we're doing and like literally turning the other way um or emotionally or etc but i think there is a reality of the mind of like turning your mind to a different orientation and understanding um to come in alignment with the reality that the kingdom of heaven is at hand and parables can it's not like a quick consumeristic answer yeah which i think we're really accustomed to in the west in 2023 in which we live you know like we like quick we like fast and efficient we love mm-hmm. efficiency um where a parable is none of those things yeah totally. right it's it's slow it's it's kind of a little bit methodical it's it can be um it can be like you have to you marinate on it it's almost like a slow cooking um but when you can it makes you chew. And I think that's what a good teacher sometimes does is most learning. It's, it's usually not the best learning. If it's like, here's a one and done, it's really quick. Like often I think the best learning happens when it's like, you have to sit in it. You have to marinate on it. You have to repeat it and come back to it and even ask, what does that mean again? Or like, I need to reread that again, or I need to hear that again. Um, or can you help even bring an explanation to that. And now that you have an explanation to the initial setting of a parable, it's almost like a deeper, like there's multiple, multiple layers of that teaching, um, that kind of hits. I think that's sometimes required to do the turning of the mind that real, like repentance to turn around requires that deeper kind of layer of teaching that comes out in some of his parables. That's good. So you're saying that Jesus is a good teacher. (laughs) I would say the best. (laughs) I mm, <laughs> never been better. I think it's amazing how <laughs> conditioned our culture is for those quick answers of even like, I have a question. I type it into Google and then I want Google to tell me what exactly to do. And mm-hmm. sometimes I approach approach 
like the teachings of Jesus in the same way. It's like, I have this problem in my life. Tell me exactly what to do. Mm. And that does not create relationship or allow things to even like, I mean, I can't tell you the last five things I Googled, you know, because it's like, it just comes up so quickly and leaves so quickly and it's finished and it goes, you know? Mm. And so really it, did I even learn what I Googled, you know, but like how cool it is to like sit with something. And I even think about like, I've heard so much about, humans and like the relationship to story and how much more important that is or like how impactful that is and like learning something or any of that. Like we tell so many mythical stories about, you know, life lessons and stuff. And that's kind of sort of what Jesus is doing. I don't yeah. want to call his things myths at all, but I don't know. There's, there's power in story and Absolutely. there's probably power in the way he does the parables. You have to like dig into it a little bit more. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and maybe if I can go on a, a mini rant of the the importance of the teacher within oh, yes. Jesus, or even if that's where you're operating in your gift. If we're talking about the five hold, um, I think the base base layer to remember is that Jesus called us to be disciples, um, and disciple just means it means in its simplest form a learner, and so to be ones who learn, um, that kind of begs the question then. Where are we learning from? Who are we learning from? Mm -hmm. What is informing our learning? Um, And of course, within this context, it's Jesus. We're learning from Jesus. If you're a disciple of Jesus, you're a learner of Jesus, and he is the teacher. Um, And so um, I think as one who is then looks at the Great Commission of go and therefore make disciples, um, not even converts or ones who experience encounters, which those are all good things, but he calls us to make disciples. Um, I think there's there's an aspect of teaching that is really important to that. I think all the folds play a vital role in that. Um, but even something in learning comes from someone teaching. Um, and then I want I want to talk a little bit maybe about something of I was thinking about this morning about this conversation. Um, we've had a lot of priesthood language around River House, or if you've been on the podcast, you probably heard some of that. And even the phrase. Uh, we become what we behold. Mm. Maybe that sounds familiar to you. We become what we behold or what we um, we behold, we will imitate. And I was thinking about that a little bit more within the lens of the fivefold and the teacher. Um, and I wanted to parse that out a little bit and give three different examples of why I think it's important that Jesus teacher, maybe hopefully one of these examples resonates with you. Um, if not, then that's okay. But hopefully one of the three. S- side note, this is the most teachery rant I've ever had in my life. <laughs> this is great. Shoot. That was perfect. I'm going to rant on this and I have three points about it. Yeah. I'm like, wow. <laughs> Hang this with me. Great. Or three examples. Three different examples <laughs> making yeah. making the same point. It's so good. The first one is, okay, if we are beholding, let's say a painting, um, like a beautiful piece of art, and if beholding often like you use your eyes, like you're looking at something. That's what it means, right? Like you're looking at it and you're beholding it, beholding it. Um, when I behold a painting, like that doesn't necessarily mean that I'm going to be able to go and become that painting mm-hmm. or I'm going to be able to reenact that painting or imitate to use that language to imitate that painting. Um, I think there's an element there that is missing, which I'll explain more, which is the teaching. Another example is, uh, let's go, yeah, when Jesus was on the earth, he, the Pharisees, 
and the scribes and sat, like they spent most of their time, a lot of time in the temple and they're worshiping God in the temple, beholding God. But the reality, when Jesus was on earth doing his ministry, he was like in a bunch of different places, right? He was near the sea or he was out um, in foreign lands and Gentile lands. And if they thought they were beholding God by spending all of their time in the temple, but really they were missing Jesus who was out in the city or in the public or in the square or in the marketplace. And then he would be in the temple. So I think there was like, they were missing something there. And then the last example I want to give, cause I like sports and I played soccer is <laughs> if, if I'm like, Oh, I, I want to behold Messi, like Messi, one of the greatest soccer players um, to ever live. Like I could watch him. And even if it's on TV or maybe I get the chance to watch him live and play in a real, real game multiple times. I'm beholding him. I'm watching him, watching him. When I, if I have zero experience with soccer before and I like, all right, now I'm going to be like Messi. And I go to hit a soccer field. I get to the soccer field and I try to like, I've seen him. I've watched him and watched his ways, the way he dribbles and steps and how he shoots with his left foot. Like the first time I go to try that, like it's not, it's not going to be messy. <laughs> like, and honestly, if I just watched him and even like, all right, I got to go back and watch more. Like I probably wouldn't get really much better at all. Uh, like even for years and years and years. And the reality is like, we need a teacher. Mm-hmm. The, what a, the gift of a teacher is it, it bridges the gap to something. It helps us to, um, how do I want to say this fully become what we behold. Um, a teacher like shapes the discipler, if that makes sense. So like, you know, you can make the quick parallel of a teacher to a coach and it's wonderful to behold messy, wonderful to watch and learn from the best and the greatest. But the teacher then allows us to like learn the skills, learn the way of walking, learn the way of dribbling or learn the way of painting or why Jesus would say like, come follow me, come with me. Don't just hang out in the temple. Um, but like watch me do miracles or watch me, um, be with the lame or the outcasts, um, or watch me preach, watch me testify, watch me draw people unto myself. Um, he, there's this, there's this bridge that teaching does that I think goes from just beholding, but then understanding and then equipping as well. Like there's an equipping that happens, um, that allows us to actually be like a full disciple of Jesus. Mm. I don't know if that makes sense, but no, that was so clear. That was great. Mm. That was a good example of the eloquence of a teacher. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah, so now your yeah, examples you were sharing that. Yeah. an example in and of themselves. Uh, I think that's so good. I'm thinking about, um, when I think of Jesus' parables and Jesus' teacher, I I often think of the word journey. Like Jesus is trying mm-hmm. to create a journey for you, not mm-hmm. just a, like a quick response, a quick answer. Like, Jace, when you were talking about Googling, I thought, man, actually Google's brilliance is that they've worked very hard to reduce the barriers to your answer that you're looking for. Yeah, They've worked incredibly hard for decades now to try and make it so that every word you type into the search bar is going to give you exactly what you want as quickly as possible with as few barriers as possible. Even to the point where if you Google, I don't know, like a a simple math equation, you don't even have to click on a link. The answer will just pop up right underneath the search bar, you know, 
Whereas originally, like it gave you a bunch of links to things that would give you the answer, but now Google just gives you the answer. You totally. don't even need the links anymore. Yeah. Um, however, in Jesus' parables, he's often very deliberately giving you barriers mm-hmm. and puzzles. And sometimes I like to describe parables like puzzle boxes. Instead of giving you the answer, he gives you a box that might have treasures inside of it, but you're going to have to like ponder over this puzzle box and experiment with it and play around with it. And you might get frustrated. So you'll set it down and you'll forget about it for a little while, but you might come back to it and you'll keep playing. And somehow if you don't give up on the puzzle box, um, like opening it and getting the treasure inside of it is maybe the more valuable thing than even the treasure itself. But the treasure itself is valuable because of the journey that it took you to get there. Mm-hmm. I don't know if that makes no, sense. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and I feel like Jesus is doing that so often. And that's part of what he even means when he says, for those who have ears to hear, let them hear. Mm. I think it's like, like, are you even going to care to listen and seek out and play with this puzzle box? Like, is the spirit inside of you? like conducive to receiving this journey and these barriers that I'm giving you because it's only in overcoming these barriers and actually walking along this journey that you'll really understand not just head knowledge, yeah, heart knowledge, like true wisdom, which is what Jesus is trying to communicate. It's what the Bible is trying to communicate wisdom, not just knowledge. Yeah. That's so good. And I was just looking through uh, a gospel to see like, when Jesus finally sends out the 12 and it's after quite a time with him, like watching his examples, hearing from him. And even when he does send them out, they're like, I'm not like, we could use a bit more information here. Like, but like, that's all part of the teaching too. You know, it's like, they don't have it all black and white. He didn't just give one, you know, good three hour teaching sesh that we get. Mm-hmm. And then it's like, now go out and do what I do. They like spent time with him, mm-hmm. a journey with him. Like, behind him getting like the dust from his shoes on them like that kind of thing that's good which is cool yeah i think that's a good reminder and distinction of when we think of teacher in our western context right now it could be easy to maybe think of like a seminar or when i was in school and i would go in for a class um and i would hear a lesson and then i'd come back the next day for an hour like to think of that as teacher of course that like if that is what a teacher is and that's all of it then to be a teacher is like that's clearly not enough that's not that's not all of jesus like mm-hmm. that that lane is not um encompassing like the reality of jesus mm-hmm. um but to your point jason I, I think it's it's even like jesus was constantly teaching not in just when we hear him sharing parables or or saying and he taught like he was teaching in the in the areas that we have within scripture like the the spaces in between where there's time happening and he's just dwelling with his disciples whether they're setting up camp or they're like preparing a meal or they're eating together like that was all teaching Mm. um it was all discipling and like sharpening um and then i would say also there's Jesus, it says at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 7, that he taught as one who had authority, not like the scribes did. Um, and that's it says it in multiple places, this authority. And I think that authority 
in the differences, it comes out in the other aspects of Jesus, like his prophetic edge and um, his wisdom and his evangelistic edge and his pastoral heart um, that like this authority is afresh. It's not just knowledge, right? It's not just head, head knowledge or even wisdom. It's, it's sharp. It's cutting like a double edged sword. Um, and it has like this real power to it. Mm. Um, I'm glad we're talking about this because I think what we're trying to get at is, um, not just what does it mean to be a teacher? What is teaching? But what does it mean to be a Jesus-like teacher? Yeah. Like a teacher that teaches in the way of Christ, mm. which is what any teacher in the church should want to be like. Like, mm. I don't want to just, I don't know, be the kind of teacher that does it by the way of the world. Totally. I, I want Jesus to be my perfect model for what rabbi means. And surprisingly, it doesn't look like the world at all. No. I, or not surprisingly, I meant, you know. Mm. It's not of like, it, yeah. I love I love a good TED Talk, mm-hmm. but the Bible is not a TED Talk. Yeah. Right. You know? Absolutely. I, like, oh man, I'm in Matthew chapter 13, there's a bunch of parables about the kingdom of God. And there's one of the first ones, I think it's actually the first one that's mentioned in the book of Matthew is the parable of the sower, Mm -hmm. which is fun because it's a parable about how to receive Jesus's parables. (laughs) So it's kind of a meta parable. And then if you don't know it, it's when Jesus says, there's a guy who goes out, sows seed. Some of the seed lands on the path, gets eaten by birds. Some of the seed on the rocks and it grows quick, but burns up in the sun. Some get choked out by the thorns. Mm-hmm. Others actually bear fruit 30, 60, and 100 fold. Mm-hmm. And then the disciples, this is from Matthew chapter 13. The disciples came to Jesus. Why do you speak to them in parables? Mm-hmm. So the disciples are asking the same question we are. <laughs> what are you doing with these parables, Jesus? And Jesus said, to you, it has been granted to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, but to them, it has not been granted. For whoever has to him more shall be given and he will have an abundance. But whoever does not have even what he has shall be taken away from him. Therefore, I speak to them in parables because while seeing they do not see and while hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. Mm -hmm. I just want to point out how, how much of a parable was that? How much of a puzzle was that that Jesus just responded to their question with? Mm. Like they were looking for clarity and he almost created more of a mess. Yeah. Mm. He's like, wait, what? Now you've just given me more things to wrestle with Jesus. Mm-hmm. It's like Yoda, <laughs> you know? Yeah. He doesn't just like solve Luke's problems and make it really simple. Mm-hmm. Like creates, he creates problems mm. that Luke needs to press into. Yeah. Um, and I, I think in this, there's some really incredible wisdom. And I think the beauty of it is that we remember we're not saved by right knowledge. Mm. So we don't have to be worried about like the perfect understanding of the Bible or theology and all these things. We're saved by the blood of Jesus right. alone and his love and goodness. And um, so if we don't have mastery over knowledge, that's okay. Yeah. You know, absolutely. let's let's remain humble. Maybe just one last thing I'll add is um, the importance of the teaching and the knowledge is not at knowledge of itself, like you said, but truth is is so important. The yeah. truth is important. Why is truth important? Truth just in and of itself is not the angle either. It's 
I'm thinking as you shared, um, Jesus says in John, he says, if you abide, like constantly remain in my word, you will know, or if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, Mm. truly my disciples, truly learners of me, the teacher, and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. And so I think there's, the goal is to be free in Christ, right? Like Mm -hmm. when we're following God, wow, freedom from the chains, from the bondage. And once we, which we, we used to live now we've been set free. And I was kind of getting, it was I love, I get fascinated by scripture. Um, but I, I love that Jesus is a teacher, not even just when he's, um, earth, like in his earthly ministry, he's a teacher He's even described as teaching after he's um, risen from the dead. So he's in his resurrected, glorified body. And this happens in in Luke 24, where Jesus is on the road to Emmaus with two disciples. And he's walking with them, and they're, like, really distraught because their Savior, like the Messiah, had just, he'd been crucified. He's dead in the tomb, to their knowledge. Um, and And then he... Jesus explains to them. It says that he interpreted to them in all the scriptures, the things concerning himself. And they're like, interpretation is a part of this teaching. Um, and then he goes on to the, and they're like imploring him to stay with him. And then he breaks the bread and their eyes are open and they recognize him. And then he vanishes from their sight. And then it says at the end of that in Luke 24, it says, um, then they were told what had happened on the road and how he was known to them in the breaking of the bread and how he was known like that there is a knowing of God, like a deep knowing, like a yada knowing, like an intimate knowing that happens through understanding of the truth. And then I also think of the reality that Jesus says, I will give you the spirit of truth or like the one who will guide the helper who will guide you into all truth. Um, and so even as Jesus ascends, he leaves us with the Holy Spirit who is recognized as one of the Holy Spirit's names as the, the guide or the, the one, the spirit of truth. And, and so teaching illuminates us to the truth. Teaching turns on the lights to reality. Um, and in this sense, we are being discipled into the reality of the kingdom of God. And that is so important in the, in the step to becoming free like true disciples that are free because of the blood of jesus that's good i'm so glad you said that i think that even encapsulates more this like beautiful um unity that comes with these five-fold giftings where if the blind spot of a teacher would be to just become so scholarly and kind of lose the inspired nature of the word and so maybe someone more prophetic in your circle would allow like you know rub off on you that that the Holy Spirit and the Spirit of Truth is going to just come al- make these parables like actually like be truth in your heart. Mm. And I'm like that's really beautiful. Like mm-hmm. that just shows that mm. that connection there. And I think that is as as a teacher, or if you if you feel like you have this teacher gifting, if it's not if like your interpretation of Scripture is not bringing unity within the church you might not be getting the big full picture. Wow. That might be a way to judge like what is true, what is not when it comes to just like the wrestling of scripture, because like our prayer at the beginning, we are here just to become more unified in Christ. And that should be our prayers as teachers as well. 
and 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 the beauty of what you just said and did is that you used the truth revealed through scripture mm. which is unity mm-hmm. um in order to qualify how we read the scriptures wow mm. um which is kind of circular, but in a beautiful way. And yeah. I don't think that that's a fallacy. I think it's gorgeous. I think um, because that that value of unity is something that is written all over the scriptures. It's mm-hmm. like at the heart of Jesus's prayer for his church and his disciples in John 17. Mm-hmm. And so that's, that is an example. And I think maybe this is the perfect place to land the plane. Yeah. So I know we've been talking for a minute now. Um, and that is that the the teacher brings a kind of groundedness in truth and scripture um, that without the teacher, the church um, could be tossed about Uh, in different beliefs. You, I mean, even the best of prophets, even the most faithful prophets with an ear to the voice of the Lord don't always hear God accurately. And Mm -hmm. I think, it's important that um, that be, you know, uh, held in unity with someone or with a perspective of knowledge of scripture to ground the voice of the prophet in a church. And I guess similarly, a teacher isn't always interpreting scripture correctly. Yeah. Well, the people have been interpreting scripture incorrectly for the whole history <laughs> of the church. But, um, but I like that that place to land us. It's grounding. Uh, I also heard recently the wonderful Megan Bailey had an analogy of the fivefold that I liked Mm -hmm. that was like a house Mm -hmm. to build the house of God. We need the fivefold. And I think the door into the house was the evangelist. It's like welcoming people in Mm -hmm. the walls are like the shepherd or the pastor that like protect. Mm -hmm and guard and then the teacher was the lights illuminating mm. what you're seeing and experiencing so that there's better understanding and not just head knowledge but heart knowledge so good um i think that analogy is it's a helpful tool a teaching tool even <laughs> yeah. to, to communicate so these good. terms so hopefully in this conversation that yeah, the heart of the fivefold was explained in kind of a fresh way where we we looked a little more specifically at the teacher. And we'll continue to talk about the teacher too as we move on from here, but we'll probably so good. focus in other directions as well. Awesome. Thanks, Kenny, for being on. Yeah. We appreciate your pleasure. presence. Yeah. <laughs> Any final Anytime. words for the people? If you had to say something to every person on earth all eight billion of us whoa what would wow. it say <laughs> <laughs> that was a lot of pressure oh. i'm so sorry wow i didn't need it you, you could you're about to say something and i just totally messed that up uh, jesus uh, jesus <laughs> there's power in the name of jesus uh, that's Amen. all that's all that we really need well thank you for joining us on the deep waters podcast we're so thankful that you listened and, and I hope this is edifying for you. Um, I mean, it was for me. Yeah, this has been a production of Riverhouse Church. We hope that you join <laughs> us at 4 p.m. on Sundays at the Vineyard Boise. Mm-hmm. We'd love to see you. And we're just thankful that we just do life together. 
Amen. 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 So and good. If you have any questions or feedback for us, please hit us up at deepwaters at riverhouseministries.com. That's an email address, by the way. Deepwaters yes. at riverhouseministries.com. Yeah, we look forward to hearing from you. Praise God. Yeah, we love you. We hope you have the best week, the best weekend, mm-hmm. and know that you are loved and mm. cared for by the powerful love of God. I don't know. Does that make sense? Yeah, I'm with yeah. you. It's true. Oh, it is true. Thanks, teacher. All right. <laughs> Bye. <laughs>